Google tracking data and abortion. Hello everybody and welcome to the conversation. I'm David Schuster in 10 US states where since the Supreme Court has made its ruling where ending a pregnancy is now illegal, state authorities have sent more than 5,700 requests demands for data from Google for location tracking information. And there are growing fears that some of this information could be used to prosecute women, doctors, providers of various medical services. Here to talk about this is Nicole Brenner-Schmitz. She's a political consultant and former national political director for NERAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League. Nicole, thanks for joining us. What goes through your mind when you hear about these requests for Google tracking data? It's terrifying. Uh, this is what they really want to have happen though, right? Like a lot of this is about the fear that they are going to instill in women. It's this uncertainty and this paralysis that happens, which is what they ultimately are really trying to achieve here. It's not simply to repeal Roe, it's a control of women. And that's what this is leaning into. There's already some effort and law enforcement already uses surveillance and tracking data somewhat effectively in trying to go after a crime and, and criminals. Uh, where is the balance therefore between trying to make sure that tracking data is used for law enforcement purposes in the more traditional way and at the same time, protecting all of us who have certain rights not to be snooped on. Right, and this is a very fine line to walk. Certainly there is a use of technology as technology expands and grows that we want to see law enforcement use to keep our communities safe. But this is about criminalizing women for making a healthcare decision. And so women are frustrated right now and scared. They don't know which apps they're supposed to delete, what they're supposed to sign up for. Is it dangerous to be on an app that tracks your cycle? There's just a lot of questions right now and a lot of uncertainty. And they're going to, Republicans are going to continue to pass new laws in states that are going to give them an expanded access to our phones and our privacy and tracking us. So we need to be diligent, not just about the bills that are gonna be coming through these states that will either criminalize abortion, criminalize having a pill sent, criminalize crossing state lines. There's lots of things for us to be aware of, but now this entire privacy and tech area is, is something we need to be vigilant about as well. Nicole, I'm gonna ask you to try to answer the question you just raised. I mean, for women who are looking up and saying, wait a second, should I stop using a certain app for tracking my cycle or certain apps for tracking medication? I mean, where is it safe given that states are gonna be requesting this Google tracking data? What is safe for women to use? Um, it's not entirely clear what exactly is safe. I mean, if you look to some other countries like Poland, where they recently even made it illegal to obtain an abortion if your life is in danger or if you were raped and or very extreme circumstances, they were arresting women that they found had ordered medication. And they found that by tracking what had happened on their phones and, and tracking where they had ordered and purchased it from. So really right now, this is a do as little as possible that can be watched or tracked and be careful who you talk to and make sure that if you're communicating with someone about what you're doing that you completely trust them. Hopefully we're going to get a lot more information to women soon. Certainly talk to your local Planned Parenthood. They can advise you as to what the best thing is to do. Go there in person and speak to them and find out what is the correct way for you to proceed if you are seeking this medical care and you are currently in a state that is banning it. 
And a lot of medical care does things online now where you keep track of your charts and your information. And even if you're pregnant and you have a you know pregnancy that fails because of a miscarriage and you suddenly have to need a certain procedure in order to get it out of your body. Some of those appointments could be made through these apps that may be the portal from your doctor. Um, what is stopping? Or can a doctor say to you know Google, hey, don't track my information. You're not entitled to my information about who's coming to my office or who's coming to visit. And can people say, wait a second, my medical records still belong to me? I think this is going to be a legal fight we are going to see borne out. This is in uncharted territory now, and you are going to see extremists on the side of wanting to take this to a level of criminalizing women that are going to go to any length possible, which is obtaining these sort of records in order to seek this control. So this is going to be something I think we're going to see happen and go into our courts, And then we're going to deal with what kind of judges are in these courts. And it's going to make its way back up through the legal chain to what is the current SCOTUS. And what sort of responsibility do you see Google having in, in all of this? I mean, right now they're not commenting. They seem to be perhaps somewhat as confused as everybody else. But at a certain point, I imagine they'll have to make an internal policy decision about which data they're willing to give up and, and what they're not. Yeah, they are gonna have to make that decision. And I hope that they speak to their female employees and they hear what is happening. This is a country who believes that Roe should have stood. This is a country that knows that women should have the right to have an access to healthcare. And they need to be doing everything possible to ensure that women are able to do that without fear and to the extent that they can without it being criminalized or them being tracked by vigilantes reporting on them for ordering medicine that they need to have this medical procedure. I hate to even bring up the politics because to me, I mean, the issue is look, women's rights are being taken away, period. However, the judges that are gonna make some of these decisions may be dependent on you know, who's controlling the Senate, who's controlling the House. So essentially the politics do matter. How do you see all of this playing out now in the 2022 midterms and beyond? Yeah, we need to make sure, and by we, I mean Democrats, that the voters realize that this is on the line, that these rights have been taken away, but that's it can be worse. And we have a lot of ability to make it better by electing certain state legislatures and governors, district attorneys. All of these offices are incredibly important to this. So Democrats need to make sure that the voters are aware of what is already happening, seeing those horrible things like the 10 year old girl in Ohio who was forced to cross state lines in order to obtain an abortion. These are the kinds of things that the voters need to be aware of so they know what they are selecting. It needs to be very clear, this is a party that is not supportive of that and this is a party that is. There's there's no middle ground here. Republicans have staked out that other side and they don't allow you to be part of that party or run and be elected in that party if you believe that women should have access to this kind of care. I think a lot of Democrats were sort of perhaps in the back of their mind, they were aware that the Republicans, they were against Roe versus Wade, but it almost seemed like Democrats were sort of lulled to sleep by Republicans who'd say, well, it's only, you know, we'll make exceptions in the cases of rape or incest or the life of the mother. And all of a sudden, you have these states where there are no exceptions or the exceptions are so narrow that somebody who does have an ectopic pregnancy, they're in danger of being prosecuted. How big a jolt? Do you think that these states who have gone so draconian in their restrictions, how big a jolt do you see that having on American society? I think it's going to be a big one. I mean, 
to be frank, a lot of the women's organizations were saying this. There were lots of people trying to wave the flags and get attention and make sure that the American public knew this is what was happening. And we were called hysterical and here we are. And some of this is because there's old laws that sit on books. In Michigan, there's a law from 1931, which is the problem, which could possibly criminalize women. And right now, the only thing protecting those women in Michigan is Gretchen Whitmer and the governor's mansion. Um, so we need to make sure that the voters know what is at stake in these different states. And we need to make sure that the horrendous stories that are already happening, even though they're terrible and my heart breaks, that those are out there. So people are feeling how draconian this is, as you said. And are there things that people can do if they want to put pressure or lobby Google, for example, to not provide tracking data for this kind of prosecution of women? I mean, what's the best way in terms of the ordinary citizen out there in terms of trying to get a company or a corporation or a big tech company like Google to do the right thing? Well, I do think it's a public pressure campaign. We need to be making sure that the company knows. It's it's similar to what we do when we want companies to ensure that they have uh, you know, policies that doesn't allow you to be fired for your sexuality or something along those lines. We need these public pressure campaigns. But the number one thing that can happen at any workplace to ensure that it's workers and that the company itself is making responsible social decisions is having a union. And there is a unionization happening at Google. And that's a very important factor here because a union is always going to help set the standards for American fairness in not just the workplace, but in society. Unions were integral in the civil rights movement. I mean, this is an important thing that is happening at Google right now. And by if they continue to union bust and prevent a union, that's sending a signal about what kind of company they are. A lot of people sort of when they see things as bad as they are right now with women's rights, there's some people who think, oh my God, this is horrible, but it's gonna get better. This can only, we've hit rock bottom. It's gonna turn around. And then there are people saying, no, wait a second, it, it may not. Things could conceivably get worse. Where do you land on the spectrum in terms of optimism versus pessimism in terms of where this country is going for women's reproductive rights? I think it can get a lot worse. I think there are a lot of states that have a lot of leadership that will take this to even further extremes. And it's going to be all about what state you live in. And there's a lot of talk about how well there's a certain class of women and they'll be able to access it if they need to. And that this is unfairly influence or hurting women of a lower socioeconomic class, which tend to be women of color. And that is true. If if Certain women needed to get on an airplane. They have the jobs that allow them those days off. They can afford to do it. But if you have an epoptic pregnancy and that needs to be dealt with in the next two hours, that's life or death. It doesn't matter what kind of money you have if you can get on a plane and fly somewhere. That needs to be addressed. So this is going to start affecting women of all socioeconomic places, some worse than others. And I think that those are the stories that need to be out there so that these People, people understand what is at stake and they go and take these votes and they elect a certain kind of leader. This has to be something that they prioritize when they are selecting who they are voting for. Nicole Bremer Schmidt, she's the political consultant who's also a former national political director for NARAL. Nicole, thanks for joining us on this difficult topic. We appreciate it. Thank you.
Now more than ever, we all need to practice good cybersecurity. Welcome back to the conversation, everybody. I'm David Schuster. There are growing fears across the United States and around the world about cyber attacks and what it could mean for every aspect of our life. Uh, and here to talk about that is Todd Wade. He's a chief information security officer who has a terrific new book out. It is titled Cybercrime, Protecting Your Business, Your Family, and Yourself. And Todd joins us. Uh, Todd, first of all, thanks for being on the program. What prompted you to write this? In the programs I've been working with and the companies and organizations I've been working with, we are investing a lot in te technical solutions. But over and over, we're finding that our chief losses are coming through human hacks. And so if you look at our losses, it comes either through cyber frauds or cyber extortions. And it's coming through new technologies that appear new to people. And this book is to really shine a light on the methods cyber criminals use. And to really prepare people as they see new technologies, as they come around the corner, they can recognize these attacks easier, uh, whether in the business place or whether whether at home. And this is what the book really, really goes deep in, along with numerous other examples. When people hear about the cybercrime getting a human access, uh, I think, for example, of you know the strange email that I got over social media from my mom saying, "Did you hear who died?" And if you click on that link, well, then suddenly you're being fished and whatnot. Is that the sort of thing or is it even more complex now? It's more complex. Right now, a lot of media attention is on email. But what's happening now is you're not so ready for it on WhatsApp. You're not so ready for it on Facebook Messenger. You're definitely not ready for it on a Zoom call. And so anything that you to communicate with you can be an attack vector for cyber criminals. And this is where they're moving towards because they're having greater success on these methods and people just aren't prepared for them, uh, companies and individuals. So these are platforms that are, I suppose, that they don't have as many layers of security protection as sort of a typical email does and therefore easier access and the criminals like to go where access is perhaps easiest for them. What are the sort of cyber attacks that you see playing out that are say most dangerous to a, to a business? Um, most dangerous to the business is really, if you look at where we spend our attention, our, our budget, we, we, most companies are spending an ever increasing amount of money on, on security products. But for many of these attacks, the security products do little use because you're, attacking, you're, you're hacking the human element of it. So that when you hack the human element of, an, of it, this is where you're gonna see an increased amount of attacks. This is where you're gonna see greater success. They're already seeing greater success and it's easier. It's easier to hack someone it is than to spend time trying to figure out how to hack a company. And if you can do that in scale, that's a significant amount of financial gain for cyber criminals. So whether somebody is trying to protect their, their business or protect their family, I've got a daughter who uses Facebook Messenger. I mean, what can we do uh, to, try to, to try to put up a, a wall of security? There's two aspects of this. There's the technical aspect, which I, I discovered in the book, which just basic practices, use MFA when available, complex passwords, password manager. But on the flip side, many of these attacks, as I mentioned previously, technical your technical safeguards will be of little use. So this is where understanding the emotional drivers and the persuasion techniques that cyber criminals will play on you. And this way, teaching your, your children to play on this. And I cover sextortion in this book for, for children. Understanding these methods, so when you see them being played out in front of you, you'll have a better chance of saying, oh, wait a second, 
this is a play, this is a technique that uh, that I that I've, I've read about, then I can recognize that and do better steps to protect yourself. We've heard from law enforcement that they're seeing a number of cases where somebody will, because be able to mimic a voice uh, and, uh, and grab a photograph and be able to say, "Hey, we have kidnapped your kid. You better, you know, deliver us a lot of money right now." That's a that's a form of this sort of attack, right? That's a cyber extortion attempt. And if you think about extortion, the average individual has never really been physically extorted in their life. I mean, to think, I mean, how often has your 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 mother, father been, you know, uh, you know? received a threatening call or their or their family's been kidnapped. So when the same emotional drivers get happen to them and in, in digitally, you know, they're just not prepared for it. And so this is why they get caught out, they get they get caught out and oftentimes end up paying cyber criminals um, before they have a chance to realize that it was all a con, the the the, the, the entire thing. A lot of us think of uh, criminals in general or cyber criminals being, you know, people in a, in a basement somewhere in a dark, you know, basement, maybe wearing dark clothes or whatever it is, and <laughs> typing away. But it's it's far more sort of now organized, right? It, it is gone it, professional. There are professional. Uh, I can even imagine how many professional call centers there are around the world in India, Ukraine, Philippines, Russia. They are trained like normal salespeople. They are trained up uh, on all the latest um, criminal techniques, and it runs just like you would expect a business, only if they're criminal enterprises, uh, and very far removed from a lone individual. These are, this is organized crime, and in some stations, nation states that are running these centers of, and they're just very, very professional, which makes them even more dangerous now. Because then they learn and they, they can really target their attacks on the individuals. Is there a particular typical or I dare I say, you know, popular among hyper, cyber attackers type of attack that uh, the average family say in the United States or the average small business owner might conceivably face? Yeah, the, the, there's just such a large range of them. There's such a large range. And if I were to say, it's always about getting majority of the times getting you into an emotional state. So if you're getting a text message, if you're getting a email, you're getting any kind of any kind of a communication method where they're trying to get you excited, you know, there's, there's a time element here. Uh, there's some kind of urgency of some something that happens. You know, if you don't act now, something terrible is going to happen. And many times it's, it's plausible, and people instantly will get rattled from this. Fear is a great emotional driver. So be, be on the lookout for anything like this. And Oftentimes, it's people you know being impersonated. So this makes it even more difficult if it's people being impersonated, because then you know what do you do? How do you verify who this person is that that you're talking to? A lot of us are, are hopeful that uh, that our government uh, can somehow come up with new ways of regulating and making it more difficult for cyber attacks to happen, whether it's individually or to institutions. Uh, how are how is our government doing in terms of preparing and anticipating where cyber um, attacks are coming from? For technical cyber attacks, I think our government is doing a really good job. Uh, they they have some great resources here. But you have a situation where cybercrime is low risk, high reward. And you have, as I mentioned, a lot of the cyber frauds and cyber extortions are done on the human element. And this is significantly harder to defend against. This is where technical solutions are, can, aren't can are enough 
to, to defend against. So this is where international cooperation, how do you punish these individuals? You know, how do you how do you punish a, a cyber criminal in a country that doesn't extradite? What kind of mechanisms international cooperation can you put together to really get not just you combating this, get you know multiple countries involved in, in battling this? And are those conversations happening between governments, between law enforcement agencies and prosecutors? They're happening. There's a lot of activity. You have the US working closely with Interpol, other countries. There is progress. Um, there just needs to be a lot more of it, a lot more. Are you, um, well, first of all, tell me what, what you see coming around the corner. I mean, I know sometimes it's difficult to project. I remember, look, you know, was it 20 years ago? You get an email from somebody or says, oh, you get a letter from somebody says, oh, your great, great uncle in whatever it is, somewhere in Africa was a prince and you've been rewarded with a huge sum of money. Just give us your bank account. And it was sort of like, ha ha. Uh, now, you know, we're yeah. 20 years since that and, and we're here at this very sort of sophisticated place. What's coming over the next, say, five to 10 years? If people want to know, we there's a lot of conversation of how your data, how much data about you is online. And this was just one small example. Your data can be used to target you and, and really personalize the attacks against you. And with AI around the corner, cyber criminals are going to be able to do this in scale. Because now they have to you know, do it one at a time, but pretty soon they'll be able to get these, these spam emails or whatever, these mass emails. They won't be mass, they'll be targeted to you personally. This makes it much more effective. So you can expect to see a scaling up. I think everyone agrees this problem is gonna get worse as the technology advances, if the defenses aren't in place to combat this. And how optimistic are you that the literacy that we all need to have for these defenses is coming or are you pessimistic that we're just so far beyond the curve that you know there's no reason to be hopeful? I think um, I, I think it's worrisome at the moment. I think the, the 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 sheer scale of the losses that are just continuing to increase is worrisome. And we're doing a lot of there's a lot of great security professionals doing some great work with this. But something is going on where we're still can, we're just seeing an increase and just keeps getting worse and worse. So I think more attention needs to be placed on particularly the human element and how we can protect people on the human element. And by loss, you're talking never mind whatever people's dignity or sense of security, but there's also a huge financial drain that all of us may face individually as well as our businesses. A huge financial drain. I mean, just last year, it was a seven billion loss in the FBI that FBI was reporting, but even that is wildly underreported. They they figure that number is four to five times higher, and that doesn't even include the psychological impact it has on on people for this. And Todd, one more time again for people who are looking up, saying, "Oh my God, this is horrible. What can I do?" Again, remind everybody what can you do if you're a business owner or, or if you're you've got a family and you're just worried about trying to do everything you can to protect them. Understand the persuasion techniques. There are uh, there are six core persuasion techniques I discuss. Understand how these play, and when you see them, you will when you recognize these persuasion techniques, pause, and give yourself time to think before you act. Don't act when you see these messages. Just stop and give yourself get out, get out of your emotional state before you do any action. Todd Wade, his new book is called Cybercrime, Protecting Your Business, Your Family, and Yourself. It is a must read for all of us. Uh, Todd, thanks for coming on the program and sharing your insights. We appreciate it. Great. Good talking, David.
Good talking with you. And that'll do it for this conversation on behalf of Asher Cofield, Gina Kim, and the rest of the gang at the Young Turks. I'm David Schuster. Thanks for joining us.